and welcome to the Keep It Local Maine podcast, where we tell the stories of local business owners, artists, and entrepreneurs, and learn more about what they do, who and what inspires them, their challenges, successes, and more. My name is Todd Regalinski. And I am Kimberly Regalinski. And we are the publishers of Keep It Local Maine, a magazine that helps to showcase local businesses to the people in and around their communities. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast that you can subscribe to on most streaming services such as Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and others. You can learn more about us at keepitlocalmaine.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube through the links in the show notes. In this episode, we'll be talking with Jen Lever, the president of Baxter Brewing Company. Jen is an Auburn, Maine native who graduated from Edward Little High School in 2004 and then attended Hobart and William Smith Colleges, earning a BA in economics and sociology. In 2008, Lever ignited her career in the food and beverage industry when she accepted a warehouse supervisor role with PepsiCo. Her upward trajectory included successive leadership positions that took her from New York to Virginia before returning to Maine in 2014, where she worked for three years in fresh-cut vegetable processing with a current company, later Growers Express. She left the role as president to take on a director of operations position with Baxter Brewing in 2017, and in September of 2019, she was promoted to president of Baxter Brewing. In her very first year as president, she led Baxter Brewing through the COVID-19 pandemic, launching a successful rebrand and expanding distribution while keeping the health and safety of her staff at the fore. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. You are a main business. A main business. That means you're the backbone of our community and a force for good in Maine. At Gorham Savings Bank, we think you deserve a bank that sees your business as more than a balance sheet. Every Maine business deserves that kind of bank. Call, click, or come by to learn how we can help your business thrive. You're a Maine business. We're a Maine bank. Let's get to work. Gorham Savings Bank. Banking is believing. Member FDIC. Welcome to the show, Jen. We are so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. It's a privilege. I absolutely love um, learning about leadership. And so I was really, really excited to have you on the show and just talk about um, all those things. And so I wanted to ask, how did you discover that you had a passion for operations management? When I was in college, we had a really great career development program. And Mm -hmm. it was recommended to me to do a scholar intern program with a Mm -hmm. company called Cintas that does facility services. And so I moved to Syracuse for the summer of my junior year and just 100% embraced every item and project that they had given me. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, they had never made a dollar of profit Mm -hmm. and the facility had stayed open because it serviced the casino out in upstate New York. And being a part of the transformation of that location and the projects that I was able to get exposure to from an inventory control to efficiency of routing, customer service, and just general cleanliness, 5S, um, kind of my first real life exposure to the Six Sigma processes, had me on cloud nine going back to my college career center and talking about everything that I had done. Mm -hmm. And in that conversation, the career development person explaining to me that, well, that's operations. So I was going to a liberal arts school and I was studying economics and sociology. So I wasn't as familiar with operations as a career path. Um, Mm -hmm. I just knew that I loved to execute and I loved to build a team. And from then on, it's become my passion and I can't imagine doing anything else, honestly. I love that. So you had a lot of experience with that. So what are some of those experiences that you had that prepared you for becoming the president of a brewery? So I I worked at Pepsi for six years right out of college. Mm -hmm. And in the roles there, I started in the warehouse and I worked all shifts. So third shift, 
uh, second shift, first shift at different times. I was a transportation manager. I did demand planning through their system. I became a quality supervisor, then quality manager, then production manager and operations manager when I left in 2014. So I had a ton of exposure to a huge corporate structure with an organization that above all else does an incredible job developing their team and really trying to be ahead of trends and speaks a lot of the, you know, the operations language and tries to be forward thinking, you know, in the spirit of what's the right thing to do for people, Mm -hmm. purpose and planet. That's kind of part of their mantras. And then I went into vegetable processing and did, it was running a fresh cut vegetable processing plant in Bitterford, Maine. And we were growing at a rate at 400% for three years. And then we sold to a green giant who we were packaging, co-packing for at the time. And Mm -hmm. so that gave me a ton of experience to, you know, in being a small business to going to a corporate structure. And so when I was given the opportunity to come and consult at Baxter, I was just overwhelmed with being able to facilitate and support a team that was doing things that they were really passionate about. People that worked at Pepsi, they worked there for all sorts of reasons, but you know, they never had to endure. Yeah. I work at Pepsi because, and where's that? What is that? People always, the brand familiarity was just Mm -hmm. huge. You know, the benefits were incredibly competitive. The work environment was always improving. Um, With the vegetable processing plant, I had seven different languages of employees. And so the the complications of that and and just enduring cold weather climate. So they were processing all vegetables in 32 degrees and enduring Mm. what they were enduring was incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. and and very finite. You know, the the, uh, ability for your brain to just focus on snap peas for eight hours is Mm. it takes a, a very special Um, particular type of mind to be able to do that and execute that well day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Whereas people that were working and choosing to be in craft beer and particularly what I found at Baxter is that they, they loved it. You know, they, they dreamt of, of having a life and a livelihood built up of something that they loved to do. And while it didn't pay as well as other jobs that they maybe were qualified to do, they really believed in the brand and they believed in what they were making and and the creative element as well as the execution. Mm-hmm. And I was empowered by that. And I, you know, I had a lot of fun consulting and quickly moved into the director of operations role. I, I learned about myself that I not so good at doing things partially. Um, so <laughs> kind of when I'm in, I'm all the way in. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019 was presented with the opportunity to, to take on the president role and, and, take the team kind of just a step further than where we were really already headed. And, um, you know, I was, it was a huge privilege, honestly, to this day, I I can't believe it. I, you know, people ask me all the time, like, Oh, what are you the president of? And I I feel so strange, (laughs) like saying like, well, the whole thing, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The the presumption is, is always like, Oh, you're the president of HR. Are you the the president of marketing or like, well, no, it's just the whole thing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they don't they don't really train you on on how to answer some you know some of those questions. So yeah, um, and not great. meaning Baxter doesn't train you. I just think you know life doesn't prepare you for yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it just sounds like you have just such this humility in that. I mean, that is just like you you get to do this, you know, and that's that's awesome, and you can you can feel that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I could not be more obsessed with Maine and, you know, I always knew that life would lead me back here, but the fact that I'm contributing to a business that's in my hometown 
and the mm-hmm. pride that a lot of my even high school teachers and and kind of people in the community take and my engagement in Baxter has been one of the most rewarding things beyond how mm-hmm. my team feels about it. It's, it's been a lot of fun. One of the things that kind of struck me in, in doing a little research for this episode, there was a very interesting story, and I'll let you get into it if you want to, uh, around kind of the, the origin of the tasting room that Baxter has. And it kind of, to me, demonstrated a leadership style that resonates with me. But the question I would have is, how would you describe your leadership style? It's so funny because you don't think these things right about yourself often, but I think I try to lead by example. Um, Mm -hmm. I, as kind of simple as it seems and sounds like I, I try to think about how others would want to be treated, think about that first and how I make people feel and make sure that I understand my audience. I think Pepsi trained me to really know the difference of when you're speaking to an audience and making sure that the, the language you're using pertains to what they're receiving for information. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's always been really important to me that anyone in my team knows that I would never ask them to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And Mm. so knowing the times where they can use my actual physical support, whether it's variety packing or packaging or doing a deep clean project and knowing the times that like directionally, you know, that I'm very transparent with like what we're trying to accomplish with a particular release or getting everyone to give ideas around a certain project or something that we might be trying to execute and then having really robust conversations about why we went directionally a different way or why we went with with something that was suggested by the team. So I guess I, I don't know a, a term necessarily, but I would say I have a very empathetic leadership style mm. um, that is a high executing. Mm. <laughs> I like to get a lot done. That's for sure. Yeah. So I have to ask this because I love learning about leadership and I love to learn about, you know, what makes a leader great. So tell me your top three qualities that you think make up a great leader. What would you say those are? I think being uh, transparent in what they're Mm -hmm. trying to accomplish, Mm -hmm. holding themselves to a higher standard than they hold everyone else, um, Mm -hmm. or at least equal that, you know, Mm -hmm. not allowing one type of behavior from management versus frontline or from sales versus operation being very even in not only the accountabilities that they have for themselves and their team, but I have always found that people like to be held accountable. They Mm -hmm. like to know what's expected of them and for that to be clear. And at the end of the day, be able to say, yes, I did deliver this or no, I didn't. But more so the accountability element of leadership, I think is really important in understanding that if I'm going to be held to one expectation, that all my counterparts are held to that same expectation. Mm -hmm. And I think that I am very lucky that my team does know that and feels that. And they know that while we all may be adding different things to the business or to the particular day, that there is an expectation that they they meet what their expectation is. Mm -hmm. And then... Third, I think you've got to be continually redefining what success is. I think that um, more so, you know, COVID certainly highlighted that and and living and guiding through a pandemic. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you don't know. And if you can't admit what you don't know and you're not willing to hire people that are smarter and more talented than you in every facet of the business and, and lean into those subject matter experts, I think it's hard to expect your team to do the same and be able to be comfortable saying what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. And it sounds like communication is a big piece just listening to you. Yeah. And I mean, being a really good communicator, which sounds like 
you are makes a huge difference. Yeah, I think it's something that you've got to keep working on, right? And even Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot around the generational communication. And if I think if you're not actively trying to learn how to be better and, and redefining like what is success for your team and for you as a person and contributing to that team, I think you can fall behind. And that's mm-hmm. just my personal opinion. And so something that I try to stay close to. That's great. Yeah. I like the follow-up question that you had there, Kim. That was, Thank that you, was Dad. really good. Why are you at, we're acting all dignified right now. What are, <laughs> It's because it's because we're on a we're on an interview with a president. That's why. It is. <laughs> yes, we're trying to be on our best behavior. <laughs> this is like when we were when we were interviewing the headmaster of Thornton Academy, and our posture was perfect. I was sitting up straight. <laughs> but I I I really I I think that those are great points, and I I think especially that the the two way street of accountability. That yes, I'm going to hold you accountable, and it's going to be very clear what you're being held accountable for. But yet, leadership is also held to be accountable. Mm. and is held to a standard and and even a higher standard that is the kind of thing along with being willing to get down into work and to and to work with people mm-hmm. that's the type of thing that makes people willing to go that extra mile yes, for for, sure. for people who are you know their managers or their boss or whatever those are the people that i, I know personally for me that i would go the extra mile Absolutely. for and I think that's I think that's great. I just it's one of those things. I'm always a little confused. Like, how, why do more leaders not understand yeah, this? Yeah, for sure. So you went to college and worked outside of Maine for a few years. And so what what was the motivation for coming back to Maine? So I always I always thought that once my brother started having kids, that that was what would bring me back. Like I always mm-hmm. knew that Maine was where I wanted to have my life, you know, long term. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say yes to kind of every experience I could and, until that time frame. In 2014, I had done some consulting for a local main business that was struggling around food safety and that they needed to implement food safety in order to honestly to stay open. And it's amazing. That you, I, I, certainly at that age, I didn't spend a lot of time and probably even now, I just spent a lot of time reflecting on kind of how much I had grown. And so when mm-hmm. I came and consulted, I was completely enthralled and engaged around being able to implement food safety and there being a plan. When you're going mm-hmm. into a food safety aspiration to be certified and your business is dependent on it, it's very hard to understand out of a thousand steps, like which is the first step to take. And I felt really confident that I could do that for them. And I, I came up with a plan and it was amazing to be able to apply that knowledge to another industry and realize that I would be helping a main business stay open that, you know, probably wouldn't otherwise. And Mm. that was enough of a tipping point for me to, to decide. Um, I was in my, what I guess at at, uh, 26, what I had defined to be my dream role. I was the operations manager of the biggest Pepsi plant in the country. And I had worked really hard to be there and I loved my team. I had the most incredible counterpart and coworker who is still a dear, dear friend to me to this day. And the idea of walking away from that opportunity experience was really difficult, but mm-hmm. knowing that my heart and head were here and that it was my long-term goals to be here and to be helping main businesses, mm-hmm. I thought, why wait? And that that's why I decided to come back when I did. I'm just, I'm still just blown away by, I am too. by 26 <laughs> Being the operations manager that, on that scale, like, I what just, was I doing at twenty? I don't even want to think right now. That's <laughs> that's. I, 
I'm just not, I'm not even going to go back in the Wayback Machine for that. (laughs) I'm just going to go on to the next question. And that is always something as as business owners ourselves that we, Mm. we, I'm going to just say we struggle with this. Um, And of course, being a two person operation, it's a little bit different. But I think every, everyone in business struggles with this a little bit to Mm -hmm. some degree. Uh, But how do you balance work and personal life? Oh, what an interesting challenge. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think at, at 36, I'm certainly much better than I was at 26. I think that, honestly, a huge portion of the development and growth that I saw in the first 10 years of my career was because I didn't really have a balance. It's not something that I would suggest um, to be <laughs> so out of balance, but it didn't feel like I was giving up anything because I was enjoying what I was doing so much. I was Mm -hmm. learning so much. I was so empowered to create a better space and place for each of the teams that I had overseen during that time. And I think in my last five years, um, I've gotten much better at evaluating, like just because I'm out of balance today doesn't mean I need to stay out of balance tomorrow Mm -hmm. or next week. So Mm -hmm trying to lean a little harder into being as forgiving to myself as I am of others mm-hmm. um, has been key for me in that piece. And then really like sticking to the the elements and things that for my personal life balance that make me the best version of myself. I really mm-hmm. am I'm super fortunate. I have an incredible group of friends. I have the best family and holiday traditions um, that mm-hmm. anyone could ever ask for. And and making sure that those priorities and, and those times are kind of blocked out and protected um, mm-hmm. and being really honest about when those times happen and, and making my availability around those times or the, the workouts that I have scheduled and making sure that, that my team receives the message that I'm doing that because I want them to also do that. You know, if they, mm-hmm. I want them to go to the dentist appointment in the middle of the day and I want them to do the preventative care and, go see their grandmother who's sick and, and whatever it might be because mm-hmm. um, everybody obviously has different competing things on their time at any given day. But yeah, I would say I'm continually learning. I'm continually reading <laughs> how to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Talking a lot with, with peers and, and counterparts within the industry and outside of the industry. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I don't know that I figured it out by any means. <laughs> Just so I'm always interested too. Do you have any recommendations? Cause you said you were reading, uh, reading on that and things like, do you have any, any favorite books over the past like year or so that you're like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. Either, either from a business or even just a personal standpoint yeah. of something that you would, you would recommend to someone else. Um, I think the 80, 20 principle is incredible. It's an incredible book and it's one of kind of the great books to revisit that, you know, as soon as you're good at, you feel like you're good at it and it's going well, like you probably should reevaluate and give mm. it another look and, and what do you pull from it? You know, because who I am today is going to hopefully be a bit different than who I am a year from now. So how I take in that information and then reassess if I'm being good about a good balance is, is important. And mm-hmm. then I'm in the in the middle of a book, The Gap First, The Gain. And that's mm. a really interesting mm. book for me because so many of the perspectives have kind of resonated. And there's some of the line, like the one-liners that I say at work, you, you've got to believe to achieve. And so it people kind of classify as being corny, but people remember them and they go back to Mm -hmm. it. And um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good, it's a great book for optimists like myself, where you're like, Hey, there is a good value to being an optimist, but it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's been a great gut check for me against 
how I better support the folks on my team that tend to lean to be more pessimists and and have a harder time like seeing the light from the trees and being able to get past those hurdles. I think mm-hmm. that there's been some really helpful pieces that help you just relate to somebody who comes at life and and work or personal life or whatever it might be with just a completely different perspective. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely want to check that out. I love those times when you when you get through something like the like you said the 80/20 principle like you you feel like you get through something like all right, I've I've achieved this level and you're like okay, and now I've learned enough that I need to go back. And it's almost like a, a painter going back and repainting and like, oh, well, now I've gotten so good at detail. Now I need to go back and add some more detail mm-hmm. to this thing that I thought was finished, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my most read um, piece I've ever read and reread is English theorist by the name of John Ruskin. He has a, a speech that he gives called Of King's Treasuries. And mm-hmm. it's about reading the great books, but not for what you digest out of them, but for what they're intended by the author. So when mm. you come across that word that you might not understand the context of the time frame that it was written in, making sure that you look it up and mm. and you look it up in, in Webster's Dictionary and understand what they're trying to say versus mm-hmm. what you want or need to hear from it. And yeah. um, I think it just pertains to every type of communication and every type of relationship as well as reading, you know, I, I push myself to be that good of a reader, but there's certainly times that I don't do it where I look up every word that I, you know, might feel out of context, but, uh, I think it's a great aspiration and a, a good, good thing for me. Uh, it's been a good thing for me in my career to revisit. That's yeah. I, I will confess I am exceedingly lazy when it comes to that. I will, I will see a word and I'm like, I'm not really sure what that means. But I'm just going to keep on reading and, and <laughs> maybe the, if I don't figure it out in the next like couple paragraphs, then I'll go look it up. And then I usually feel like, oh, I think I I think I know. And I, I totally don't. Yeah, <laughs> I should yeah. really I should really should take, take that advice. advice. I know. <laughs> so what advice would you have for other women getting into brewing or any male dominated field? I think. It's so interesting, and I, I, I've laughed a couple times recently that the one attribute of myself continues to be like the most interesting one for folks to talk about. But I think that I have a responsibility to find a way to be more concise about what the advice is in these instances because I have been successful in male dominated fields. So, what is the difference? Like, what, mm-hmm. why has that happened for me? Mm-hmm. Um, I think early in my career, I had some gumption about me that, or I had confidence enough and comfortable enough with certain work groups where I had some really robust conversations about the language that they used. And and I had the ability from my management team to be able to have these great one-on-one conversations that really asked a lot of my male counterparts of, so this is what you said, is this what you intended? When you use mm-hmm. the analogy of a woman, female part, what are you really trying to say? And mm-hmm. don't you think that you could do better? Don't you think that there's probably more words in the English language that describe what you're trying to say better than using a negative connotated female name, whether it's being a Sally or female parts, as we've all heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that made, certainly made a difference, but I don't think that I'm doing that any less than when I was doing it when I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, but at Pepsi, the experience there was interesting because a lot of the 
they always wanted to pair me up in leadership or, or mentorship relationships with females. But at the time, there really wasn't anyone on the operations side that was a female at a level lower than vice president or special project managers. So I didn't relate to that level as a warehouse supervisor. And I didn't relate to the HR manager or the finance manager in a way that was applicable and helpful to my current role. So I really had to seek out the advice and mentorship of male counterparts that I really respected. And I think, Mm -hmm. of course, there are different instances and things that will happen in your career as a woman that men can't relate to and and aren't your best audience for. But when I look at who I wanted to be as a leader and the way I wanted to make people feel, I looked at the attributes of the leaders that I was surrounded by and who I wanted to be and Mm. who I didn't want to be. And it happened to be, you know, in my first four years at Pepsi, it was all male management. And so it was males that I was constantly evaluating. And so thinking really critically about what they did differently and and how they define success and and where I found myself in that realm and of Mm -hmm. how to define success and how I wanted to make people feel and who I wanted to be inside and outside of work. I think that that's really important. And I think it's important to look to the best people and as you define what makes the best people and Mm -hmm. whether it's male or female and understand that, you know, the way that you define success hopefully is continuing to change as you go through your career. And even if you Mm -hmm. stay in the same role, if you're learning, then you're, you're redefining that. And then who's executing success at the highest level that you deem possible and not trying to fit this mold of what people tell you you're supposed to be as a a woman in operations or a woman Mm. in gear, you know, whether that be the position you're in or, or what you wear or how you talk. Um, Mm -hmm. That I think has probably been upon reflecting at this point in my career, I think that's been the biggest piece to me is align with people that you respect and Mm -hmm. garner that respect from your counterparts, you know, Mm. don't be at the table because you're a woman. And if you get a seat at the table, because you're a woman, make the most of that opportunity and, and make sure that you are the best of the best candidate or, or person that could be in that role or have that additional responsibility. That's mm. great. Great advice. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, I can I can certainly respect where you're coming from because in an interview, we definitely don't want to pigeonhole anybody. So I guess my follow-up question to that would be let's if we could fast forward however many years uh, to 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 Jen's retirement party. After a long and illustrious career, you finally decided that's it. I'm now going to retire to my private island or <laughs> or your cabin or what, whatever whatever that would your dream would be. What would you like your legacy to be? Like if you if if you just had some vague idea or if there's something in of like what would you like people to to remember you for in terms of leadership or or what your career has been? I think it would be most important to me that everyone would feel that I was fair. You know, that whether they agreed with a decision or not, um, or direction in, in any of the companies I've been a part of, that the way that I made them feel, even if it was something they didn't like to hear, that it was something that I was willing to discuss and mm-hmm. and talk about and that I was fair in my accountability to everybody on the team. I think that's probably most important to me above anything else now and um, in retirement, should I ever retire? (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, we're not trying to push you out the door or anything. I just <laughs> well, I just it's to just take it's us, funny know. timing because I had a, a great conversation with a, a dear friend of mine who is uh, really cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. He and I both look at at work and life and the satisfaction from work is really kind of feeding your passion for life in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, well, where do you want to be in 10 years? And we're having this great conversation about what that looks like. And I was like, well, retired. And he laughed and I laughed almost at the exact same instant. He's like, let's be serious. You're never going to retire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I can see that. There's there's things you want to pursue and and it might not even seem like work anymore. So it's like, well, why would I want to retire? I'm, I thoroughly enjoy what I do, right. you know, and that's that's completely cool. Yeah. But to go along with a little bit of what we've talked about so far, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in the last year? I think more than anything else, you know, for my team particularly, they've really needed me to be the cheerleader through this very uncertain time. And even if I didn't know, you know, where things were going from a mandate standpoint or projecting where volume was going to go, being very honest with that and really trying to do as much as possible to celebrate the things we were accomplishing as we were short staffed. And we had five beers take off in a way that we had never had happened in company history. So we were really learning as we went and, Mm. and talking about that and being and poking fun at that. And I think from a, if you look at a, typical, whatever that means, presidential role, you wouldn't put that I would be have spent as much time arm in arm with all of my staff as I did in this last year. And I think that with the uncertainty of so many things from this last year, that there was really no better place that I could have been spending my time. I think that we're a much stronger team than we were a year ago. And I think that we, each individual person has contributed on such a high level that I I believe that they all know how much I sincerely and authentically appreciate that. And I just don't know that there's any better feeling than my team feeling appreciated. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. You know, it's, it's yeah. great that that translated to beer sales and that's great that it translated to engagement from consumers, but how my team feels about the beer we're putting out and the, the product availability and, and what's next is absolutely my biggest driving factor. Mm. Yeah. I think it speaks very highly of you that, that you were willing to make that change and be like, okay, this isn't necessarily what the job description is or whatever the other mm-hmm. president does or anything like mm. that, but this is what's needed. So this right. is what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, we, we just couldn't create bodies where there weren't any, right? So right. Least, yeah. we're really excited for you know to have a double digit growth year in our 10th year of business the team is in just in a pivotal position for what year 11 is going to be. And we just could not be more excited. That's Fantastic. awesome. So I have a really hard hitting question here. So you got to brace yourself <laughs> for this. What is currently your favorite beer? Ooh, Baxter or other. I was going to say the, 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 the biggest joke here would be if you were like, ah, Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. like, what? Wait no, a minute. We need no. to edit this. And what is your currently your favorite beer? Any beer. Well, actually, you could make it any beer and, and, then, then, and Baxter. then Baxter. Yeah, we'll both. Do Let's do both. We don't want so, to get you in trouble with anyone. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, my team knows this. So to contextualize this, before I started Baxter in 2017, I didn't really drink anything darker than a Mick Ultra. Mick Ultra was really the beer of, of the Lever household throughout my entire family. 
mm-hmm. that has transitioned to staycation land and logger road. But uh, once I was introduced to the darker beers that lack the bitterness element of them and, and the stouts and browns, Foundations Coffee Burnside is forever. I will be buried with a can of that probably. <laughs> um, it is absolutely one of my favorites. Allagash Map 40 is unbelievable. Main Beer Company's Fall is my favorite from them, uh, which are, all of these are, are not typical typical favorites whatsoever. So I, I definitely, those three have made up such a influential piece of my palette and what I lean into as I explore more and more styles that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the execution and uh, of those three are, are big, big favorites of mine. From Baxter, my favorites are, are where the, we have the best stories, right? So um, Innuendo is a white Russian stout inspired from the Big Lebowski, but really transformative in my transition to, or transformative of, of kind of the t- styles that we were doing and also um, who we were as drinkers mm-hmm. and what we were going after. And I was trying to create a white Russian beer that all of my ski friends um, could drink. And so I, I definitely, that is forever a favorite. That's um, so cool. Yeah. And, and I think Ice Storm of 98, IPA is not typically the style I gravitate towards, but the Ice Storm of 98, I love for what it represents for our business and showing patrons and restaurant owners that we can make an IPA that isn't bitter. I love the nostalgia of when you try to sell it to an account and you find out how long somebody didn't shower and how many days they went without power. I love <laughs> I love the the liquid from a delivery standpoint. The tropical aromatics on it that my team was able to deliver on are just outstanding. I, I really I can't say enough about that beer and how much my team loves the beer. I love the graphics and I love what it represents in kind of our transition in our rebranding as well. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a awesome. long answer, but it is a big part of my life anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I would hope I would yeah, hope well, you yes. a few here. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that we are here is uh, is diehard inspiration junkies, and so we always like to hear what is inspiring to others because it's inspirational to us. Yeah. So, who or what inspires you? Um, there's so many things. I feel like I've all of my answers have been so long. <laughs> um, I am inspired definitely each and every day by everybody on my team when they're they're going through something that's particularly difficult and they that tenacity to keep going at it and knowing that they're working just as hard as I am on other things other than what I'm working hard on that makes me you know want to always be be working as hard for them in every department um, as they're working so I, I really am inspired by that I'm inspired by the growth and success that we've seen by improving the communication internally aligning on what our goals are and then exceeding those goals and knowing that we're not done. I'm inspired by what kind of lays ahead in the, in the unknown and and what else we can come up with that will make us a more valuable partner to every retailer in, in Maine and beyond. And then, you know, from a life aspiration standpoint, I am wildly inspired by my own mother. She's mm. um, the most durable, tenacious, empathetic leader I've, I've ever known or seen as she's applied it in her work and her life, in our family life and her friendships. 
and really holding the bar as far as what she expects of herself being far beyond what she expects or accepts from others. And um, I think the way that she makes people feel and knowing how reliable she is, is something that I certainly continue to inspire to. And I, I don't know that I execute <laughs> on the same level that she does, but I, uh, as we all are, we're still works in progress. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, indeed. Some of us more than others, and I'm yes. kind of looking at myself for that one. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Jen, so much yeah. for, for taking time out of your day to, to talk with us and to share with us and to share your story and also a lot of uh, great information for leaders, but also mm. just background information for people listening who, who might know Baxter and, and, and see the cans and, and, and enjoy the beer, but not necessarily know what goes on behind it. So thank mm. you for sharing all yeah, of that with us. Yeah, this has been so great. Oh, thank you very much for having us. And, you know, there's a lot of love and labor behind uh, what you see on the shelf. So we certainly appreciate the support and, and love being a part of the main community. Well, and I'll be sure that I include links to uh, your website and social media pages. But uh, more than that, thank you again, Jen. We really appreciate your time and yeah. wish you great success in the coming year. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jen. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Gorham Savings Bank, and encourage you to check them out through the link in the show notes. And thank you again for listening. Thank you.